First, we have to get within the casino cages, which anybody will tell you takes more than a smile. Next, through these doors, each of which requires a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours. Past those lies the elevator. This is where it gets tricky. The elevator won't move without authorized fingerprint identification. Which we can't fake. And vocal confirmation from both the security system within the Bellagio and the vault below. Which we won't get. Furthermore, the elevator shaft is rigged with motion detectors. Meaning if we were to manually override the lift, the shaft's exit would lock down automatically and we'd be trapped. Now once we get down the shaft though, then it's a piece of cake. Just two more guards with Uzis and the most elaborate vault door ever conceived by man. Any questions? No, tunneling is out. Their sensors monitoring the ground a hundred yards in every direction. If a groundhog were to nest there, they'd know about it. Anyone else? You said something about good news? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Say we get into the cage and, and through the security doors there and down the elevator we can't move and past the guards with the guns and into the vault we can't open. Without being seen by the cameras. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, well, say we do all that. Uh, we're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash on us without getting stopped? Yeah. Ed Hoffman and welcome to the main event. I'm talking quiet today because it's Secret Agent Day. There's conspiracies going on around us. There's all kinds of stuff going on and you know what? I'm not just making fun of it because it's really happening. It's really happening. If you like that clip from the beginning of uh, Ocean's Eleven, I'm looking for a clip that says, you know, look how elaborate of plan this guy had to put together to rob the casino at the Bellagio in that movie Ocean's Eleven, and you know what? Uh, there's not there's not just one scene that that does it. You have to watch the whole thing, and to think of what the Democrats of uh, had devised to go after Trump in the in the unlikely event that he got elected to president. You know what? If if you're not following this, or if you can't connect the dots, I'm going to try and connect them for you today. But first, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender located here in Southern California, offices all over the place. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate, and there are fantastic opportunities in real estate, call me toll-free, 855-640-2020. 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. 2020. If you want to get in touch with me, but you don't want to talk on the phone because you're calling from work and uh, you're stealing time from your boss, you don't want to get fired, you know, wait till your government mandated breaks and uh, call me or go to WCCLoans.com. Unless, of course, you're not supposed to go on to other websites from your company computer, then do it from your phone. WCCLoans.com, www.WCCLoans.com. And uh, you get all kinds of mortgage information there and uh, go to the Loan Center, click on Apply Now, put as much information as you want me to have, tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my uh, talented teammates, Eric Marquez, Alex Rojas, 
Cody Bradbury or Aaron Fredericks, and we will help you uh, find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. Whether you're looking to purchase a new house and uh, rent your old house, new house, sell your old house, a house to, to rent as an investment, a vacation home, a house to so you can push your kids off of your couch and get them into their own house, uh, or if you want to refinance one you have or do a reverse mortgage, if you're going, what is that reverse mortgage thing? I don't really understand it, and I want someone to just explain it to me in English because it just seems that, you know, that that uh, uh, Tom Selleck guy, you know, he's got a big mustache and he's tall, but I don't really understand what the heck he's talking about. Um, call me, 855-640-2020 or WCCLoans.com. Um, if you hear any part of the show you want repeated, you can go to the podcast page on edhoffman.net, E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N dot net. Click on the podcast page. You can listen on demand anytime. You can also get the main event podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, where you can subscribe for free, have it download to your uh, your your iPhone or your Droid or your iPad or your iWatch, your mini pad, your maxi pad, your computer, anything you want, anything you can listen to, uh, to uh, podcasts on, and uh, listen whenever it's convenient for you. Follow me on social media. I'm at Ed Hoffman on Twitter. I don't have to be at Ed Hoffman in 16 di- digits because apparently I was the first. Although then I got it the first and then I didn't do anything with it for about four years. So um, at Ed Hoffman, I'll tweet about current events all week long and like the show on Facebook, facebook.com slash the main event Ed Hoffman. If you want to leave me some comments on the show, the listener hotline, and I'll play, I'll play some in the beginning of part two. Um, if you want to leave me some comments on the show, you can call listener hotline at 855-640-2092. And, uh, you know, you get to hear my, my opinion all every every weekend you know everyone's entitled to my everybody has an opinion and everyone's entitled to mine i want to hear yours now call me 855-640-2092 that's a recorded line you can leave your comments on the show good or bad i fear none i fear none just do it uh just speak speak clearly and loudly and uh so we can uh if so in case i can try and uh, put you on the air i'll uh i'll play a play a couple at the uh, beginning of part uh, part two. Hey, so uh, this week, as I said, the uh, the the mystery, the the undercover secret agent stuff going on. This week, we learned that the Obama administration, under Loretta Lynch's Department of Justice and James Comey's FBI, may have paid at least one person to in- infiltrate the Trump campaign, and we're bound to find out about even more. The campaign spy is reportedly. A guy named Stephen Halper. He's a 73-year-old British professor with deep ties to the American and British intelligence and a background working for Nixon, Ford, and the Reagan administrations. You'll not hear his name on TV. They're only referring to him as the British professor, the campaign spy, or the informant. Secret agent, man. Okay, if you haven't heard the name Stephen Halper yet, Google it. Google it. Uh, S-T-E-F-A-N. H-A-L-P-E-R. Google it. He's got a long history of being an FBI informant. Okay, so late last week, reports in the Washington Post and the New York Times named Halper as the informant who met with Trump campaign advisors Carter Page and George Papadopoulos starting in the summer of 2016, actually starting in the spring of 2016. As you may remember, Papadopoulos has pled guilty to lying to the FBI while Page was the subject of the FISA, FISA surveillance warrant which the same FBI and Department of Justice under Obama obtained using phony Christopher Steele dossier. I'll try to 
but I'll try to put all this together. Okay, so remember Carter Page. Car, Car, so Carter Page and George Papadopoulos, here's a couple of guys that want to be part of the Trump campaign. And I'm assuming, because I know George Papadopoulos doesn't have any official title, but they're all part of their uh, foreign policy team. And I'm assuming, if you've seen the movie uh, Primary Colors, you got these people that, hey, I want to be a part of this. I feel good about Trump being president. I want to be part of it. I want to, I want to help. And some of them may have been getting paid and some of them maybe not. Maybe they're just volunteering for the experience and, uh, you know, any kind of potential jobs if he gets elected. So these guys are out there. Now, Carter Page, um, Carter Page is about 44 at the time. And uh, he's got some ties to uh, Russia. And because uh, he's done, he's in the uh, he's in the oil exploration business. And so uh, just like our former president, uh, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who uh, was the, the CEO of uh, ExxonMobil for a while, um, you know, he's got so he's got ties all over the world because they're exploring oil. They're buying oil. They're selling oil. And George Papadopoulos, uh, basically, uh, I don't know. He's just a young kid. He's only 28 at the time. OK, young, influential. Today, he's only 30. Uh, which makes him uh, two years younger than my youngest kid. Um, and, you know, I just don't think that's someone who's uh, who understands security. Okay, so if we needed more proof, if we needed any more proof that our own Department of Justice was seeking to create a way to discredit Trump in the event Hillary Clinton lost the election, this is it. We now know that the insurance policy Peter Strzok and Lisa Page were texting about was an FBI operation that attempted to entrap Trump campaign aides into appearing interested in colluding with Russia. All the goal of having the story, all the while having the goal of having a story to leak to the media right after the election that would make Trump's win appear illegitimate. Now remember that those uh, two people in the FBI, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, uh, have an affair and they're texting back and forth that they needed an insurance policy. We can't have this guy get elected, but just in case we need an insurance policy. So more on that in a minute. There were several members of the Trump campaign who were targeted, but as you may have guessed, their efforts were most successful with the young, impressionable George Papadopoulos, 28 at that time. Okay, so here's what here's what happened. Here's what happened. Follow the bouncing ball. Halper's first contact with the Trump campaign was when he met Carter Page at a British symposium in July 2016. So they're over in England. July 2016, the two struck up a, a suspicious friendship that went on for more than a year. So Carter Carter Page is over there. He meets uh, he meets he meets uh, uh, Halper, Stephen Halper, and uh, they 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 hit it off. And uh, over the, for. For the next year, there's meetings at Halper's Virginia farm, farm and in Washington, D.C., in addition to exchanging emails. Now, remember, Virginia and uh, Maryland are right next to Washington, D.C., so it's not like he traveled far to have secret meetings. Hey, you know what? Washington, D.C. is not that big of a city, and it's just a city. And then you got you cross the bridge, and you're in Maryland. You cross another bridge, you're in Virginia. Okay, so... So he meets this guy in in Britain and uh, at some British symposium, uh, they strike up a friendship. They have a few meetings, and they probably had a few meals. They exchanged some emails. Carter Page, by the way, maintains that he never felt anything was odd about his friendship with Halper. Could that bring a red flag about Carter Page as well? Mm, maybe, but maybe uh, maybe you know that it was didn't seem suspicious because it didn't go anywhere. A month into his friendship with Carter Page, Halper then met Trump campaign co-chair Sam Clovis. 
in late August. Okay, according to Clovis, Halper was attempting to get on the Trump campaign staff by offering his services as a foreign policy advisor. Clovis says he didn't think the conversation was suspicious at the time, but now he he's unsettled because Halper never mentioned he was also talking to Carter Page. Hmm. So he's talking to talking both these guys within a month of each other, trying to just buddy up with all these guys on the Trump campaign. So when did the young and experienced campaign aide George Papadopoulos get involved? With Halper? It was either August or September 2016 when Halper offered him $3,000 and an all-expense-paid trip to London to write a paper about energy in the eastern Mediterranean region, and Papadopoulos took him up on it. So here's this young guy, 28 years old. He's probably working for free for the Trump campaign. They're sending him to get coffee and stuff, according to uh, according to uh, some of the Trump and his some of his people. Ah, he's just the guy we sent for coffee and Diet Cokes, probably. Uh, so Papadopoulos gets uh, gets this offer for uh, hey. I want you to write this paper. He probably went to college. He probably has a, some uh, some of the some uh, education and this stuff. And I want you to write a paper about the uh, Eastern Mediterranean and the energy there. Papadopoulos goes, "Hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take uh, three thousand bucks to go there, and uh, all expenses paid, as most young kids probably would." So Papadopoulos goes to London in September, ostensibly to meet with Halper about getting paid to write a foreign policy paper. During their meeting, Halper brought up the topic of Russians being involved in the hacking of Hillary and the Democrat National Committee's emails. George, you know about the hacking of emails from Russia, right? Keep in mind, this is about one month after Trump made this campaign remark. If it is Russia, which is probably not, nobody knows who it is, but if it is Russia, it's really bad for a different reason because it shows how little respect they have for our country when they would hack into a major party and get everything. But it would be interesting to see. I I will tell you this. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. I think you will probably be rewarded mightily by our press. Yeah, people made a big deal about that. Hey, look, he's 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 sending messages to Russia. I think he was I think he was being uh, kind of uh, uh, he was making a joke. He was being uh, facetious. He was being uh, he was making fun of Hillary because Hillary was supposed to turn over all her emails, but there was thirty thousand of them that she said she deleted. And she goes, "Oh, well, we deleted them. It was just uh, talk of you know the emails about." Wedding plans for Chelsea and recipes and stuff. You didn't want that stuff. Oh, and don't forget yoga, yoga. Okay, so, um, so we now know. So we now know that spies were capitalizing on Trump's joke by dangling hacked Hillary and DNC emails as bait for campaign aides like Papadopoulos. Also in London, Halper introduced Papadopoulos to his Turkish assistant, Azra Turk. Allow myself to introduce myself. My name is Richie Cunningham, and this is my wife, Oprah. My name is number two. This is my Italian confidential secretary. Her name is Alata. Come again. Yeah, well, we had to edit one, uh, one uh, Alata's last name out of there. So, But you guys have seen the movie. You know what I was going at, and you're giggling. Reportedly, Turk flirted with Papadopoulos both during the meeting and later on in the email exchanges. Some reports say Halper told Papadopoulos that a lot told the lie that the Turk 
Vlad was Vladimir Putin's niece. Other reports say a different operative posed as Putin's niece. More on that later. So uh, Halper goes over there. He brings some uh, some some foxy Turkish chick who is going to flirt with this young man and uh, infiltrate his his defenses. <laughs> what we now know is for sure is that that in London, Halper and Turk offered to help Papadopoulos arrange a meeting for Trump with the Russian leadership, a.k.a. Vladimir Putin. Papadopoulos did not commit to such a meeting and said his campaign supervisor told him, great job for declining it. Good job, young George Papadopoulos. You're not only 28, but you, you're, you've got a brain like you're 29. By the way, sources close to Papadopoulos say that he now understands Halper was spying on the campaign while working for an intelligence agency. Dun, 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 dun. So uh, that's what's there. So far, no payments to Halper from the FBI or the Department of Justice have been uncovered. However, public records show he has received two large payments from the Department of the Defense's Office of Net Assessment, a shadowy think tank that reports directly to the Secretary of Defense. In 2016-2017, the Secretary of Defense under Obama was Ash Carter. The office paid paid Halper $282,000 in 2016 and $129,000 in 2017. So the question is, did the FBI or the Department of Justice funnel this payment through the Department of Defense? Why else would we be paying this guy? Who is this guy? Hey, he's been an FBI informant, and for some reason, we just unloaded almost half a million dollars to this guy. Uh, well, almost uh, over $400,000 to this guy. For what reason? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe... Uh, Maybe a helper should set up a. Uh, maybe helper would be it would be cleaner if he just set up a uh, a, a nonprofit foundation. I don't know. Maybe that'd be an easier way to funnel money to the guy. Or just hey, well, donate to your foundation. I don't know. It seems like I've heard that somewhere. Hmm. Was it the Clinton Foundation? Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't only helper. Stephen Halper wasn't the only one trying to infiltrate the Trump campaign through George Papadopoulos. This kid was entrapped by up to three people. Okay, March 14, 2016. So a couple of months before, Papadopoulos had the first series of meetings with another British professor, Joseph Mifsud. Woo! That is one crazy get-up you got there, fella. Yeah, thank you. Are you in the show? Uh, no, actually, I'm English. There's something about the people in England that are trying to trying to infiltrate George Papadopoulos, which sounds more Greek than English. Mifsud has deep ties to the Kremlin and has been rumored to be a Russian agent for many years. Ten days later, Papadopoulos met with Mifsud and, and a Russian lawyer, Olga Polonskaya. Polonskaya. Polon... Polonskia. Okay. Olga Polonskia. Some reports say it was this woman, not Stefan Halper's assistant, who was the person introduced to Papadopoulos as, as Vladimir Putin's niece. We may never know. Google Joseph Mifsud's name and you'll see he has gone completely off the grid. So Joseph Mifsud, M-I-F-S-U-D. You'll see he's gone completely off the grid in the last three months. Quitting his job at both universities he was teaching at and ignoring all interview requests from the media. Hmm, here's a guy who's a teacher at two different universities. And uh, all of a sudden we start to get word that this helper guy's out there. And they start to check out this Mifsud guy. Next thing you know, he disappears. I wonder if, he, uh, if he's gotten involved with Hillary Clinton. He might, have, uh, he might have committed suicide somewhere. We'll find him later. Film at 11. 
Like Halper, Mifsud pretended to befriend Papadopoulos. At one point, he told him that the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton. Thousands of emails! So now, this is the second time that a mysterious British professor has contacted George Papadopoulos, asked for a meeting, shown up with a flirtatious woman, and dangled Hillary Clinton's emails under his nose like a carrot. Hmm, what are we to think of such a, such a plan? And you know what? Trump's out there going, hey, you know what? Something's going on here, and and you know what the and the media is just Trump is Trump is paranoid, man. Trump's a madman. He's 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 psychotic. This stuff is happening. You know this. You can't make the you can't make this stuff up. If you can make this kind of stuff up, you could make movies like Ocean's Eleven, A Few Good Men. Um, uh, what's that one with Leon, Leonardo DiCaprio? Uh, uh, where the whole everything bends. I don't know the. There's some there's some crazy movies out there the the uh, the Matrix if you could think up this kind of stuff, and they did it six months before Trump got elected just in case. Not long after that, Papadopoulos was invited out to drinks with an Australian ambassador to Great Britain, Alexander Downer, apparently apparently the brother of the legend Debbie Downer. Who has close Alexander Downer has close ties to the to close ties to the Clinton Foundation and is a member of some organization called Hackliet, a British intelligence firm that hires ex-Russian agents among these among other types of spies. We know now that Alexander Downer <laughs> was like Halper acting as an FBI informant. Informant Papadopoulos doesn't seem to question why all these foreign diplomats are interested in meeting with him. Hmm. Why does everybody like me so much? I don't know, because I just open my mouth and say stuff. So, uh, uh, so he he doesn't seem to question well. Uh, so he, ha- so he has drinks with Downer, <laughs> and while he's liquored up, Papadopoulos spilled what he heard from Mifsud that the Russian the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton in the form of thousands of emails. Now coming full circle, you you catching on all this stuff? Let's let's recap. Let's recap. They send this guy Mifsud to meet to meet with uh, with uh, Papadopoulos. Then they send who uh, tells him that there's there's uh, that they have that the Russians have dirt on Hillary Clinton. They send Halper over there to uh, to invite him to England to uh, write a paper, and then he sets him up and tells him stuff about uh, about the uh, Russians and the Russian stuff going on. And then they have him meet up somewhere else with. Uh, also in Great Britain, with some Alexander Alexander Downer. <laughs> who gets him liquored up and has him spout out some of the BS that these other two guys told him. Said, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, I heard Russians, Russians got hacks on, on emails from Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, I know that. I know that. And, you know saying things that drunk people say and now we have it officially that someone from the Trump campaign actually made the comment that there's potential to getting information from the Russians to beat Hillary Clinton now it's now it's full circle so anyway we're coming up with the end of part one here so stay tuned for five minutes and of commercials and traffic and weather and sports and we're going to continue with the mystery of the of the undercover secret agent stuff that the Democrats did 
and now someone's probably going to go to jail over this stuff. Don't go away. I'll be right back with part two. Hi, everybody. This is Ed Hoffman, and welcome back to part two of the main event. Yes, today we're talking about the secret, the secret agent scheme that the Democrats put up to try and entrap and to try and prove that that Donald Trump, that Donald Trump's victory over Hillary Clinton was illegitimate by saying he colluded with the Russians. And uh, what an elaborate plan! I wonder how much this cost the American the American people, but I guarantee it cost a lot. Cost a lot. And maybe it's and maybe it was uh, the uh, came from campaign financing for uh, for Hillary Clinton, and maybe it became from donations from people that thought they were given to Bernie Sanders, and maybe it came to people that thought they were really donating to a uh, nonprofit uh, nonprofit organization, the Clinton Foundation. Who knows? But let's talk about it. the FBI already has sent two spies, Halper and Mifsud, to bait Papadopoulos with the idea that Russians wanted to share Hillary's hacked emails with the Trump campaign. For the third time, Papadopoulos has been entrapped by spies placed in the campaign by the FBI, but Downer, Alexander Downer, (laughs) was the FBI, when the FBI hit pay dirt because they got what they wanted. Somebody, somebody in the, in the Trump campaign saying that they had, had uh, information about the Russians and the Russians were going to give them information about Hillary so they could beat Hillary in the election. Papadopoulos believed Downer was just an Australian ambassador, but in reality, he was also an FBI informant whose goal was to get Papadopoulos drunk so he would blurt out what Halper and Mifsud had told him, none of which was true. Now, Downer could report what Papadopoulos said to his FBI handlers, which means the FBI could truthfully claim that someone in the Trump campaign, Papadopoulos, told an FBI informant that he knows the Russians have dirt on Hillary. Then the FBI could leak the story to the media and make it look like Trump campaign was colluding with Russia to win the election. Did you follow all that? Did you follow all that? This is this is pretty uh, pretty detailed. I had to, I had to go through this a few times. I had to watch a whole bunch of TV and I had to read a whole bunch of reports and uh, have conversations with with Brooke who helped put this all together. And uh, before I understood it, and that's exactly what and exactly what a. Uh, CNN did after days after Trump won. CNN starts reporting about Russian interference in our election. Something none of us heard about until then. I never heard about it. You know what? I voted for Trump. I never heard from the Russians. I never heard. They never contacted me. I voted for him because I didn't want Trump. I didn't want uh, Clinton in there. And I thought Trump would probably do a good job. I was right. Now we know the seeds of the story were planted all the way back in the summer of 2016. And it was initiated by... Barack Hussein Obama's Department of Justice under Loretta Lynch and James Comey. Why didn't CNN report on it before Election Day? Because this whole thing was only being done as an insurance policy if Hillary Clinton lost. That's what was meant by Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, who the two high-ranking FBI employees who were having an affair when they texted each other about the insurance policy, and that was August 15th. So basically, this was already in the already in the works, already in the works, and it was had already started. And so they knew what was going on. And before anybody thinks that, that Obama didn't know about any of this, remember Strzok and Page also texted, POTUS, President of the United States, wants to know everything we're doing. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think, uh, I think you put all these, put all these, uh, 
put all these pieces together. I think the tax by itself doesn't really prove anything. I think the uh, the meetings with uh, with Halper and uh, Mifsud doesn't really prove anything. You know, but the fact that when you put all these things together, it does mean a lot. It does mean a lot. But according to James Comey, all their spying was okay because it was regulated. In other words, it's good spying because so many people in government were in on it. Here's what Comey tweeted on Wednesday. Facts matter. The FBI's use of confidential human sources, the actual term, is tightly regulated and essential to protecting the country. Attacks on on the FBI and lying about its work will do lasting damage to our country. How will Republicans explain this to their grandchildren? Well, you know what? I think uh, I think of a uh, I think of a uh, I think the plan from the the A team. If you remember a little scene from the A team, how you beat a th- opponent like this is distract, divert, divert, and divide. Hey, you know what? This is all just distracting people, diverting diverting people's attention. You know what? Hey, sure, you're you're just you're just gonna have to explain to your grandchildren while you're destroying the credibility of the FBI. Hey, Comey, I think you did that. I think you did that, and you weren't alone. You may also heard Dick, uh, Director of National Intelligence James Clapper on his media tour this week saying something similar. Here he is on The View. You know, with the informant business. Well, the point here is... Well, let me, let me get to my question. Are the Russians not, yeah. not spying on the campaign, but what are the Russians doing? And in a sense, right. unfortunately, what they were trying to do is protect our political system and protect the campaign. But, but the, the, the FBI started to look into Trump's um, ties to Russia in the summer of 2016. And Trump tweeted that this spring... The spying, rather. The spying that he claims is spying. Other people say it's a whistleblower or an informant. He says that spying is bigger than Watergate. So I ask you, was the FBI spying on Trump's campaign? No, I, I, no he, they were not. They were spying on a term I don't particularly like, but on what the Russians were doing, trying to understand were the Russians infiltrating, trying to gain access, trying to gain leverage and influence. So which, why doesn't which he is like what they do? So why doesn't he like that? He should be happy though. Well, he should doing. be. Yeah, you know what? If you listen to the whole interview, if you listen to the whole interview on the View, and I don't watch the View, but I watched the whole video. It's about ten minutes long. I could have played the whole thing. This guy looks guilty. This guy says, "Hey, you know what? I'm the. I was the director of national intelligence, so I'm in charge of." I'm in charge of, uh, I oversee the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and uh, all these other people and uh, 16 different agencies. And uh, I'm the head guy there. I'm going to go on a TV show like The View and start telling what's really going on. I don't know about you, but it just looks, it looks hokey. Hey, you know, he's thinking, hey, I think, I think there's a road leading up to my front door with some agents that are going to put cuffs on me. And uh, I think I better start going out and doing some damage control to get the get the people behind, get the, get some of the people that watch the view to get behind me so they they'll 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 get all mad when when I get arrested. So uh, one more piece of evidence that was um, that was uh, this was a major conspiracy. Don't forget that Loretta Lynch they had a totally coincidental run-in with Bill Clinton on the tarmac in Phoenix Airport uh, uh, while this was going on. On uh, June 27, 2016. Hmm, it ties just nightly, nicely onto that timeline. Maybe now we know what they were really talking about. It wasn't grandkids and golf. Uh, was, uh, I don't know, was all kinds of, and it was went 40 minutes long. Hey, you know what? Your, your Loretta Lynch is on the tarmac at the airport in her plane. 
Bill Clinton coincidentally happens to be at the airport and said, hey, looks, there's Loretta Lynch's plane. I'm going to go out there and, and say and say hi. And he just goes out there, walks onto her plane. No one's allowed in the plane but uh, Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton. And they, for 40 minutes, they just chit-chatted about grandkids and golfing. I don't think so. I don't think so. And think about it. It's like it's like stopping to stopping to have a chit chat with someone in the fast lane of the freeway on Monday morning. Hey, by the way, I see my buddy there. I'm just gonna stop. Hey, stop your car. Stop your car. And you get out and you just chit chat. You just sit down with him and do a little chit chat in the fast lane at the uh, in the the freeway on L.A. and uh, Monday morning traffic. You know, do you think that while they're out on the tarmac that they're stopping other planes? I don't know. But Clinton did that once to get a haircut, I think, at LAX, if I remember correctly. Might not have been LAX. It was some hey, they had someone come on to Air Force One to give him a haircut while uh, while they were stopping up the airport. I don't know if you guys remember that, because uh, that was a long time ago. So let's talk about where the Mueller investigation comes in. On Tucker Carlson's show Wednesday, Michael Caputo, the Trump campaign advisor, who we talked about the other day, who said the Mueller investiga- investigation has cost him 125,000 in legal bills, and now his family receives death threats. Remember, he said, "Hey, I did. A, I set up. I didn't couldn't afford it, so I put a GoFundMe page, and I got you know four hundred thousand dollars or however much money it was." We talked about this uh, last week or the week before. So now he receives death threats. He said he said that he was targeted by the campaign spying operation too. Listen to his story and especially how the Mueller investigation reacted when he told them his story. An early May uh, approach to me by a former government contractor in the national security arena who, through an intermediary, uh, tried to get uh, uh, to me and tell me that the NSA had Hillary Clinton's emails and that we could get a hold of them if we wanted them. And this, this conversation continued for a couple of weeks, and I eventually told them I had no interest because I thought they would be classified material. And I'll tell you what, Tucker, for two years, I didn't know what it was. I, I gave the information to the House Intelligence Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, and the Mueller investigators when I sat with them two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and they didn't seem the least bit interested. I, I didn't know what to think of it. Two years, I, I scratched my head. The intermediary, who's an old friend of mine, we talked about it over dinner dozens of times. We couldn't figure out what it was. And then the news came out about the spy uh, uh, latching on to the members of the Trump campaign policy committee and the light bulb turned on over my head and I realized if this wasn't a, a dangle of some sort from a, from the, you know, whatever, FBI and whatever, uh, this, this was strange enough where I needed to bring it to the public. The investigators weren't interested. They didn't even take notes when I told them about it. I thought I should bring it to the public. Yeah, of course they're not interested. They're not. They're not interested in in uh, in busting themselves. They all knew about it. They knew that it was a setup from the beginning. And you know what? This. You know. Oh, this is a conspiracy theory. This is no longer a theory, folks. They did this. Hillary campaign, the Department of uh, of Justice, the uh, uh, the Department of Defense was in on it. All these guys and the FBI. So uh, I don't know. Uh, so what are the what are the what are the Democrats doing now? As you've heard, the president asked for a bipartisan meeting on Thursday. So this all came out last weekend. Apparently, last weekend I'm being told because I by Monday I'm going. What I didn't hear any of this stuff. You know, last weekend I'm doing my taxes because I filed extension. So, uh, like most of you self-employed did, and uh, what was on TV last weekend? Nothing but the royal wedding. 
Okay, I don't know about you, but I don't have any interest in watching the royal wedding, especially especially when it starts up at 3.30 in the morning when I'm sleeping. Uh, so it started up at early and it went all weekend. That's all that was on TV was the royal wedding. So I was doing the taxes and I think uh, Don had on the cooking channel or the food channel. Diners, drive-ins, and dives all weekend. So uh, Monday, all of a sudden, I start watching the news again. I go, oh my God, what happened? Took me all week to figure it out. By Thursday, by Thursday, the president asked to have a bipartisan meeting on the on uh, with the Department of the Justice members and the member and members of the Congressional Gang of Eight to discuss spying, the spying allegations. Naturally, the ranking Democrat on Intelligence Committee, Adam Schiff, said there was nothing here to see when he came out of the meeting. I've been asked to read a brief statement on behalf of Leader Schumer, Leader Pelosi, Vice Chairman Warner, and myself. Today's Gang of Eight briefing was conducted to ensure protection of sources and methods. Nothing we heard today has changed our view that there is no evidence to support any allegation that the FBI or any intelligence agency placed a spy in the Trump campaign or otherwise failed to follow appropriate procedures and protocols. Thank you. And all day, Thursday and Friday, that's all you heard on CNN and PMSNBC was how inappropriate it was for uh, you know, hey, they had this this meeting. How inappropriate is it for for uh, Donald Trump to send his chief of staff and one of his personal lawyers to that meeting? Well, they sent him and to make a statement saying, "Hey, well, I don't know what what they said. I wasn't there, so I don't know for sure." But they they were in part of the meeting and then left and left the meeting to go. And apparently, according to the Democrats, nothing came out. So, in addition to all that stuff going on, in addition to all that stuff going on this week. Uh, President Trump enacted the biggest rollback of Dodd-Frank regulations since the financial crisis. Well, actually, it's probably the first rollback of the Dodd-Frank regulations uh, since the financial crisis. Uh, so if, for those of you who don't know, uh, the financial crisis was created by, uh, in 2008, was created by a guy named Christopher Dodd and a guy named uh, Barney Frank, who uh, together with their friends at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, created these uh, products called Subprime. In order to, uh, it, and this happened during the Clinton administration when it started because they wanted to get the home ownership rate up a little bit higher. So after uh, after that created a subprime that they they if you've seen the movie The Big Short, they took these uh, these uh, these uh, packages of 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 unstable loans, loans where people don't really qualify, and sold them th- throughout the global market. And uh, around 2008, this the the, the building started to fall and created the global meltdown of the economy. So in order to, uh, to fix this, in addition to taking our taxpayer money and creating what was a uh, tarp and bailing out banks and bailing out insurance companies and bailing out all that, all those people, uh, to fix it, to make sure, to make sure that we, we make, we put in the, the, the rules to ensure that this will never happen again. Who did they call on to fix it? Christopher Dodd and Barney Frank, who created the Dodd-Frank bill. And Dodd-Frank bill was a big o- over overreach, uh, created all kinds of hassle for uh, for mortgage companies and banks by over-regulating to the point that, you know, this trickled down, just like just like the good stuff in trickle-down economics trickles down to the little people. All the, all the shackles they put on the banks, all the shackles they put on the mortgage companies trickled down in the form of higher rates and higher fees for the uh, American public. Now, 
you might say, well, hey, during those years, our interest rates were super low. Well, they could have been super low and a lot less expensive to get them had, had this happened. Um, so you don't know how much better they could have been because we had Dodd-Frank to make sure that it was impossible for banks to operate without uh, shelling out tons and tons of money. So uh, this week, uh, the House voted 258 to 159 on Tuesday to approve the regulatory ro rollback that passed the Senate this year. Um, the president signed the bill into law on Thursday. Um, my personal opinion is it doesn't do enough. It's, it's a start. It's a start, but it's not going to affect, number one, it's not going to affect mortgage companies like mine because we're the little guys, apparently, uh, compared to the big guys. The measure was designed to ease rules on, on all but the largest banks, lifting the unnecessary burdens forced on small and medium-sized lenders um, by the Dodd-Frank Financial Reform Act of 2010. The threat, so what it does, the threshold under which banks are deemed too important to financial system to fail, we call them too big to fail, um, has been raised from $50 billion to $250 billion. So, so the rules apply. Instead of $50 billion banks, if they, if, they, if they have less than $250 billion in assets, it only applies to them. Those institutions will no longer have to deal with undergoing stress tests or submit so-called living wills. The bill also eases uh, mortgage loan data reported reporting requirements for the over overwhelming majority of banks. Um, not significantly. It will also add some safeguards for student loan borrowers and also require credit reporting companies to provide free credit reporting monitoring, monitoring services, which means the cost of the cost of uh, of the credit reports will probably go up. Oh yeah, they just did. And uh, it'll add the safeguards for student loans. So you parents, you parents that uh, that um, uh, co-sign with your kids, You'll be happy to know when, if you pass away and the loan's not paid off, they won't come after the kids for the money because then it's just forgiven, apparently. And uh, for those of you uh, parents that don't want to pay it because your kids promised to pay it and they didn't, um, if they die, then you don't have to pay it. So I guess it's the the greatest new rule to kill your kids, I guess, if you co-sign for uh, student loans. Okay, it also exempt lenders that originate fewer than 500 mortgage loans per year from having to collect and report on expanded set of mortgage data points. So I guess we could break my company into smaller pieces and I won't have to report on what's called HMDA, the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act. Um, overall, I don't really think this is going to do much um, for my life, but it uh, it will do, it. it's a start. It's a start. The Dodd-Frank Act is so is so big, probably couldn't be done in one, one, uh, one piece. Here's uh, President Trump on Thursday after he signed the bill. What we're doing today with respect to Dodd-Frank is truly important legislation. And I have to say for a Congress that they say, you know, won't be doing much because we have an election coming up, I think we're doing an awful lot when you think about it. I think we're doing an awful lot. I think we're doing more than any Congress in a long time. So, thank you. So I'll be signing now a very, very important bill from the standpoint of people and jobs and loans and getting out there and building a business. And it's a tremendous honor to be with all of you folks today. And thank you for the great job. Thank you for this incredible amount of work. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is the first presidential administration that we see is actually getting anything done at any time uh, other than uh, Obama that tried to. That destroy the country. Uh, also on Thursday, President Trump backed out on the June, June 12th summit with Kim Jong-un. After a week of tense discussions with North Korea, he addressed cancellation during an appearance in the White House Roosevelt Room. I believe that this is a tremendous setback 
for North Korea and indeed a setback for the world. Hopefully positive things will be taking place with respect to the future of North Korea. But if they don't, we are more ready than we have ever been before. It's possible that the existing summit could take place or a summit at some later date. Nobody should be anxious. We have to get it right. Yeah, the uh, I think I think this is a a uh, the art of the deal. I think I think the Democrats last week were saying that Trump is so hard up for a deal that he's gonna he's just gonna sign anything, and that's not the case. And if you've read the art of the deal, Trump's book from uh, 1980 something, um, and I and I just read it I don't know uh, a year ago. Um, it's a great it's it's really it really reminds me of of my life. Just hey, you know what? He's he's a He's doing one deal to the next deal to the next deal. He's working on this and working on that and going from one one transaction to the next. And uh, and he's just doing it with a lot more money than I'm doing it with. And uh, but this is one of his tactics. You have to be ready. You have to be ready to walk away from a deal at any given time. If you're not getting what you want, you walk away. You walk away. He knows he knows what he wants, and he's not going to take he's not going to take a deal that isn't isn't uh, verifiable. We've done so many so many uh, uh, treaties with with foreign powers in the Middle East, and uh, and then Iran never never uh, never honors them. Iraq never honors them. Afghanistan never honors them. Uh, uh, North Korea never honors them. Nobody ever honors them. We're the only honorable ones out there. So this time Trump's going to hold their feet to the fire. Cancellation was made official in a letter from the president to Kim Jong Un which was sent through established communications channel in North Korea. Um, reading this, I'm not going to read the whole letter. Uh, maybe I will. We greatly appreciate your time, patience, and effort with, this is to Kim Jong-un. Dear Mr. Chairman, we greatly appreciate your time, patience, and effort with respect to our recent negotiations and discussions relative to a summit long sought out by both parties, which was scheduled to take place on June 12th in Singapore. We were informed that the meeting was requested by North Korea, but that to us is totally irrelevant. I was very much looking forward to being there with you. Sadly, based on the tremendous anger and open hostility displayed with your most recent statement, I feel it is inappropriate this time to have this long planned meeting. Therefore, please let me serve, serve to represent that the Singapore summit for the good of both parties, but to, to, but to, the, but to the detriment to the world will not take place. You talk about your nuclear capabilities, but ours are so massive and powerful that I pray to God they will never have to be used. I felt a wonderful dialogue was building up between you and me, and ultimately it is only the dialogue that matters. Someday I look forward to meeting you. In the meantime, I want to thank you for your, the release of the hostages who are now home with their families. That was a beautiful gesture and was very much appreciated. If you change your mind, having to do with the most important summit, please do not hesitate to call me or write. The world, and North Korea in particular, has lost a great opportunity for lasting peace and great prosperity and wealth. This missed opportunity is truly a sad moment in history. Sincerely yours, Donald J. Trump. I thought it's a good letter. I thought it's a good letter. Hey, you're talking too much. You're talking too mean. You're talking too uh, out of place. And I don't think this is a good time because you got the wrong attitude going into this thing. We're the good guys and you're the bad guy. We don't have we don't have to bend down to you. You have to bend down to us. We have the big bombs, you have the little bombs. When asked by the press what happened, president was careful not to to divulge what went on. 
So the dialogue was good until recently, and I, I think I understand why that happened. Why was that? And I, I won't say that. Someday I'll, I'll give it to you. You can write about it in a book. <laughs> but I, I really believe we have a, uh, a great opportunity. We'll see whether or not that opportunity is seized by North Korea. If it is, great for them and great for the world. If it isn't, it'll be just fine. Thank you all very much. And sounding crazier than ever, Nancy Pelosi reacted to the president's letter like this. We got the president's letter, the copy of the president's letter um, chumming up. It's kind of like a valentine. Global recognition and regard. He's the big winner. And when he got this letter from the president saying, okay, never mind, he must be having a giggle fit right there now in North Korea. A giggle fit? Uh, hello, Pelosi. What? What? You're a moron. You are a true, true, true blue moron. You know what? I think uh, Trump did the right thing. And according uh, since, since Thursday, now they're finding out that that uh, North Korea and the president are talking, and uh, and probably exactly what he expected. Hey, I'm backing out. They're gonna come begging for to get it back in. Hey, I'm out of time for this episode of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to the main event. I'll be back again with you next week. The content in this program is not intended to be legal advice. The views expressed are those of Ed Hoffman and his invited guests and do not necessarily reflect the views or policies of Wholesale Capital Corporation. WCC is licensed by the California Bureau of Real Estate Broker License Number 01147747 and California Finance Lenders License Number 603K610. Also licensed in Arizona by the Arizona Department of Financial Institutions. MB Number 096199.